0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: It's Friday and this is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah, this excitement in my voice, we got to Friday, I feel the energy, I feel the positivity, I feel all of the good feels and that's probably similar to how Eagles fans felt today when they finally got to hear from their new head coach, Nick Sirianni. <laughs> At least for a minute, they had that energy, that vibe, that that you know, that Friday feel for a minute, and then he spoke, and things sort of went off the rails. This is what happens. Like when you get a new ho- coach, you have so much hope. When you hear them speak, and it's less than inspiring, sometimes it can take a little bit of the air out. That's all I'm saying.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was no, we're going to gnaw off some kneecaps and take a hunk out of somewhere else. Uh, it wasn't that kind of <laughs> weird introduction. It was an entirely different kind of weird, and the way I expressed it on Around the Horn was the key when you're starting a sentence confidently and declaratively is to know the end of the sentence, and I think that's the problem that he had. Take a listen to what it sounded like.
3: Next thing that's very important to me is that we build a smart football team that we have a smart football team here, and I know we have the, the people in place to do that. The first part of that, the first part of being smart is knowing what to do. We're going we're gonna to have systems in place that are easier to learn, All right, complicated to the defense or offense that they're going against or the special teams group they're going against, but easy for us to learn. Because when we can put that, because when we can learn our system and we can get good at our system, then our talent can take over. Less thinking equals talent take over. But we need to have systems in place, and we will have systems in place to do so.
1: Now, in fairness, Sarah, you know, it just sounds like maybe he's a little nervous, not a great public speaker. You mentioned this was no uh n- nothing like what we saw from the lions last week it's a little like goldilocks and and you know maybe this was a little bit too uh, too far on the timid side i've been that guy by the way watching these press conferences just enamored with the thought of okay this is going to be the coach that takes our our franchise to the next direction, uh, to the next level. And having a coach that comes in and really commands that opening press conference gives you such a level of, of faith in what's being built. When you see a little less of that, it suddenly makes you curious. And I think that's why Eagles fans were looking at it today with a little bit of trepidation, a little bit of, oh, no, in the moment. None of it matters if he produces on the field. But in this moment, when you were looking for that great, defining leadership character, it just wasn't necessarily something that popped through in front of a microphone.
2: Yeah, you're 100% right. He could absolutely be a great coach who's either not a great speaker or just was a little nervous in this moment. It's fun to have a little fun with him not seeming to know what was supposed to be coming next during his presentation, but he he could be great at what he does. I think you know the other thing that stood out was he couldn't answer whether Carson Wentz would be on the team. He said he's evaluating everything. He said, quote, we have two quarterbacks in Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts that are top-notch quarterbacks, a lot of teams don't have any. So just really excited to work with both of them. Now, there's a, there's a cliche there that stands out. If you got two quarterbacks, you don't have one. But maybe he's stuck between a rock and a hard place in terms of talking about this. He was obviously hired, most likely in part because of his relationship to Frank Reich and that connection to Carson Wentz. On the other hand, the quarterback's coach that he just hired is someone who's known Jalen Hurts since he was four years old and worked with his dad. So, you know, there's some there's some issues here where you could see You know, connections that would help both quarterbacks earn that gig. But to me, it feels like the best for this team is probably a quarterback competition. And if it ends up being Wentz, that's who they they would want to root for because of the financial investment, and they could possibly have Jalen Hurts out on the market. But if you know you're keeping Wentz, which seems very clear based on the fact that Doug Peterson got chased off in part because of their relationship, then you need to at least have probably a fair competition for it so that it doesn't end up a situation where the rest of the team looks at Jalen Hurts and is practicing better in practice and says, we're going to be intentionally worse just because of the money we owe this guy. At least make it feel like it's a fair shot.
1: Well, and and to that end, Sarah, I I think there's also a moment here for me where I I like a coach that comes in and says, hey – Uh, I don't know yet. Essentially, we got to look at everything. We're going to have a competition because they haven't been in the room. They haven't worked with these guys. He hasn't met with anybody yet. So when you have a quarterback situation that isn't defined, I don't want him to come in with any preconceived notions. So I like the fact that you're coming in saying, Hey, we got two quarterbacks. We're going to see how it plays out. Like that's at least refreshing honesty uh, as opposed to the other thing he could have said, which is heck if I know I will, we'll figure it out. Like you can't have that moment either. So I thought in that sense, that's probably, if you're an Eagles fan, the best uh, the best possible answer. Now, that's not the only coach we heard from today, and we expected to hear from David Culley. David Culley was one of a couple people around the Texans organization that we heard from, and everybody knows that Deshaun Watson uh, wants to be traded. That's been widely reported. But, you know, want and will are two different things. So we'll start with Texas GM uh, Nick Casarium, who obviously hasn't even met with, uh, according to reports, or talked to Deshaun. But he made it clear at the podium today how they feel as an organization about trading Watson when he said this
3: organizationally
4: um, just want to reiterate our commitment to Deshaun Watson um, he's had a great impact on this organization a great impact on a lot of people great impact on this team and uh, we look forward to the opportunity to spend more time with him here this spring once we get started and you know we have zero interest in trading the player.
1: So, Sarah, Hmm. can they be that way? I mean, I understand the mindset, but realistically, if they don't get something done before the draft and then it just lingers and then Deshaun decides he doesn't want to play, they could have a complete lost season if they're trying to work this out and can't get it worked out.
2: Well, first of all, I don't know that they're actually – I know they're trying. I know they don't want to lose him. I don't know that they believe that they can save him. I think what you do here is you make it clear to the fans, we don't want to get rid of him. This is not our choice. We want him to stick around. So if he ends up leaving, don't blame us. We tried our best. We're not just acquiescing. We're saying we want him. And secondly, they're trying to drive up the price by making it feel like we're not in a position where we have to sell. "Uh, We don't have to trade him. No, no, you better come to us with the good stuff because we're intent on keeping him. And as for the third part, if they have to give up a whole season, I heard Mina Combs on NFL Live today say if they don't get the right offers for him, they are better wasting him sitting for a season until they can get what he's deserving of than to give up too little um, or or to get back too little for him. And David Culley, the the head coach, also spoke today. And he certainly sounded like somebody who is trying to sell you on the idea that, of course, I wouldn't come here without knowing I'm going to have Deshaun Watson. But if I put a percentage fits, I'm at... 3% Three percent or less that he will be on this team. So to me, like I said, this is a public sell. Here's Cully.
0: Deshaun Watson's a Houston Texan. He's a quarterback of the Houston Texans. And that's all that I was concerned about. And that's all I knew. And and whatever was been said about what was been what he wanted to do or he didn't want to do, all I know is this. Having been in this business this long, you know, he is a Houston Texan. And I want him to be a Houston Texan. And the reason I'm in this position today is because I knew he's going to be a Houston Texan. And so that the outside stuff that was being said was irrelevant to me.
1: I, I Look, I love his, you know, you can hear the passion in his voice when he's speaking about it. But, Sarah, I mean, short of coming out and saying, well, heck, I wouldn't have taken this dang job if I thought he wasn't going to be here. I mean, what else is he going to say? You're right, it does continue to drive up what you would think at least value as they have to convince everybody they're going to dig in, Right.
2: Right, it drives up the value, and also, again, what are they going to say? They can't come in and say, listen, we know Deshaun wants out, so I guess that's it, he's out, right? That's not going to help the value, and it's also <laughs> going to make people blame them for not fighting hard enough. But he also can't say, I guarantee that Deshaun Watson will start this this season, because uh, then he looks kind of like a moron when he doesn't. So it has to be, you know, I came here believing that he's the quarterback. Right now he is the quarterback. We want him to be the quarterback, and then everything— it's going to fall apart like we know it's going to, and they can at least have plausible deniability that they did their best.
1: I can't imagine having to take on all of this with your first head coaching gig when you've been around the league for so long. Like you just came right into the storm. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. Coming up, Houston and Philly aren't the only teams with big quarterback decisions. One of our experts today had staggering statements on Ben Roethlisberger. You're here next. We'll debate it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast.
1: Fitz on ESPN and rated the ESP and app series XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah, you just channel your inner Oprah so much better than I do. I on do. Friday. I do. Mine saying. is
2: much girthier than yours.
1: Well, if I had a nickel. Uh, <laughs> all <of> our guest <laughs> join us. Oh, my God. Uh, it's Friday. I can't help myself. <laughs> No. Oh, all of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. It's been a fun time at ESPN. This is the end of it. Okay, so we were talking about quarterbacks earlier, and a, a couple of, there are a couple other news and nuggets out there when it comes to the quarterback situation. Uh, One that I think was there's a lot of speculation on what should happen at this point with Ben Roethlisberger. Right. And we all know that he has a massive salary cap number. Now, we've heard the Steelers this week tell us, hey, we can't do anything with him unless he helps us with that number. Conversely, we've heard Big Ben say, hey, I'll help the team. I want to be here. I think I have another year left to play. But I was a little surprised on Get Up this morning to hear Bart Scott make it clear about what he thinks about Big Ben and whether or not Big Ben has anything left to give the Steelers. This is what he said
3: either die the hero live long enough to see yourself become the villain and i think that's what big ben is because if you look at that playoff game you know he looks like a shot a shot fighter death by a thousand paper cuts you know he's checked down charlie at this point doesn't push the ball down the field and at this point of his life he's not willing to take the hits that made him such a great quarterback swatting guys away being able to look down the barrel of the gun and throw and deliver a, a, a pinpoint pass he's not that guy anymore so for me It's not any number that Big Ben can come back that play because I know that it's limitations to where we can go as an organization, where we can go as a team. For me, I think it's Matthew Stafford or bust. That's the perfect quarterback for them right now, the ability for Matthew Stafford to come in there and be your answer and your solution for the next five years and understanding that, hey, he, this team is in a window where they can kind of, you know, close the gap with a team like Baltimore, with a team like Cleveland, if they have an outstanding quarterback with a live arm that can that can utilize the entire football field, 53 wide and 100 long.
1: Sarah, it didn't surprise me to hear him uh, say positive things about Matt Stafford, but to say there's no number that he would bring Roethlisberger back. Uh, says you says how definitive he feels it is that Ben shouldn't be any part of the Steelers moving forward, and I can see that he did look like a liability late in the season.
2: Yeah, we talked about this on Around the Horn today, and I know Jackie McMullen seemed to say, "Listen, you could bring him back at a much lower number, and he can be around while you do look for who's next. And if you can go out and be a part of the Watson sweepstakes or the Stafford sweepstakes, you do that." I just think when you've got a guy who has the history with this team that Ben does, regardless of what he might tell you or even his teammates, it's awkward to have him if he ends up sitting on your bench. If somebody outplays him and it's very clear that he's done, no matter what he's paid, he's a guy that's won you a couple Super Bowls. I don't know that that's a very clean finish for him to end his career on the bench and for there to be any question or demand for him to come up and start if your starter isn't getting it done. I also thought the language around this was strange. Roethlisberger told The Athletic, I want to do everything I can and made that very clear to them from the very beginning that it was my idea to basically help the team however I can this year. Hmm. I don't understand the necessity in what felt like him saying, no, 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 no. they're not telling me that I need to take a pay cut or that I'm worse. I'm telling them that. And, And I don't know if that belies something more. Is there a feeling that maybe he's the last to know, which so often happens with athletes, that it's over, right? That he's got a belief about himself that isn't, Actually revealed in his his play to me, this team and you know I've said this all season was never that good. The record said something about them that I thought was never true. And once they were figured out, I think it was pretty clear that he was incredibly limited. Teams were respecting his arm because of the past, and when it became obvious with enough tape that he couldn't get it, I think I averaged six something yards a pass, that he was a checkdown Charlie, as Bart said, it became easy to defend. So you're not a team that. So great that you're ruining a window if you start a little rebuild here. And if that's what's required, I think that's smarter than hanging on to him a year too long.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And uh, so much of what you said there makes sense, Sarah. And, you know, the other side of it to me, along with that, is that Matt Stafford would actually give the organization a perfect excuse to move on. One of the hardest things to do is to move on from a legend at the quarterback position mm-hmm. that will be in your team's Hall of Fame that, that is a Hall of Fame caliber player uh, that has won Super Bowls that means so much to generations of fans. It's difficult to find an easy way to move forward from that, and they haven't been able to identify anybody in the draft. They don't have an immediate answer, so anything they feel like they would be doing would be a roll of the dice. However, if you could go out and acquire somebody like Matt Stafford that says to the fan base, hey, this is our answer for the next few years, and it's a great way to move forward past that quarterback in a way that everybody feels good about. Like it makes sense to, to, to make that move. So it makes the transition easier. The, the only problem is Stafford is in demand. And, you know, as ESPN.com points out, that there's conversations now between Stafford and the Rams. I don't think it's going to be easy. And, and a lot of people continue to put the Lions' lack of success around Matt Stafford's reputation. I think that's part of why we've heard so many definitive statements from Dan Orlovsky repeatedly about the greatness of Matt Stafford. This comes down to trying to remind everybody that just because the Lions stink doesn't mean Stafford stinks. So I think we're going to see a lot of teams lining up trying to take advantage of a quarterback that has a lot left to give. So while the Steelers may want Stafford, I'm not sure that they can offer as much as other teams will. And there's going to be a bidding war for him.
2: Yeah. To your point on Stafford, he's a fantastic talent. The only drawback is not only did he not win with the Lions, but at the collegiate level too, he's not a winner. Now, most of that can be blamed on Detroit, I think. He does make errors in big situations. There have been moments where he has shrunk under the brightest spotlight, but he is an incredibly talented guy, easy to root for, hard worker, wants to win. And you mentioned Orlovsky. He's talked about how much He wanted to win for Detroit and wanted to bring them that Super Bowl. It sounds like they're both finally giving up on each other and saying it's best to move on. I think he will make a ton of teams significantly better. But to your point, what do they have to offer for this? And and you mentioned the Rams. If they cut Jared Goff, it would cost them $65.2 million in dead money. Trading him would cost $22.2 because he signed a four-year $134 million extension, $110 million of that guaranteed after they made it to the Super Bowl. I look back at the way I spoke about that deal, and a part of me cringes because at the time I thought to myself, there are so few qualified quarterbacks, even if you're overpaying, you have to do it. I don't know if that was the answer for this team because what we're seeing now is he's actually holding back the rest of the team being ready to make another Super Bowl. Um, but you know, it's impossible to go back and and play the game of who would they have gotten or had if not for golf? If they weren't willing to pay that, another team probably would have. And then who are they having at that starting position? And would they even be contending as much as they are now? Um, Stafford and the Lions seem to have agreed on a separation. So now it's you know, who's going to give them enough value, and, and which team is willing to 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 prioritize? you know, getting him in and and taking advantage of a window. He's only 33, so the window's not that short, but it's it's now.
1: I think it's funny. You mentioned the golf situation, and I've often said that I think the toughest spot to be in for a franchise is to have a pretty good quarterback because you don't know what to do. This is a good example of that. Like, I don't think golf is terrible. I don't think golf is uh, elite, whatever that word means. But you're right. They had to pay him at that time. That was the right thing to do. And so now they're stuck in a situation where, you know, the, the contract makes it difficult to trade and it will absolutely kill the team but so will keeping a quarterback that may not be good enough to get the job done. So they're stuck in an even more precarious position that seems to exist for a lot of teams at this point where you bank on your quarterback. And I don't know why sustained success has been so difficult to find for so many quarterbacks. I feel like when I was a kid, if you saw a couple of good years from somebody, you knew you had your guy. Now, I mean, we see it repeatedly where you can see a couple of good years from somebody, pay him, and then realize after that, oh, wait. He wasn't the guy. It's a terrible situation for the Rams to be in because they're stuck either way.
2: Yeah, and worth noting, by the way, that Stafford has a $10 million roster bonus due on the fifth day of the new league year. So there's a little bit of a deadline here for whatever team is interested to start moving so that the Lions don't end up paying that before they get rid of him and save some of the cap space they will for next year.
1: One of the more intelligent things the NFL has ever done is the way they restructured these contracts to make that happen. Coming up, a title contender licking their wounds after back-to-back losses. We'll break it down next for you. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: Happy Friday. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. The NBA on ABC tomorrow night, 830 Eastern, is Lakers at Celtics. It can also be heard right here on ESPN Radio. Get in the Zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the Zone, AutoZone. Jonas, now to talk about those Lakers and their two-game slide. Everybody panic. It's Dave McMenamin, ESPN NBA reporter. Dave, thanks for the time.
4: Oh, you got it. The sky is falling out here. The sky Sarah. is falling. Watch I out. thought you
2: guys were unstoppable. Um, listen, to me, it feels like... Uh, if you're the Lakers, you're not exactly circling the Pistons on your calendar and getting up for it. Is this just a matter of perhaps a little bit of boredom or maybe malaise midway through a, a trip? Because I know I saw Kuzma saying, there's still a pandemic out here.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, surely had this been a matchup that they were super concerned about, I I would think Anthony Davis would have played. He mm-hmm. had some swelling in his right side, but he had played the night before and... Uh, You know, if this was a team that they thought they would have to worry about down the line, if this was the Nets, if this was the Celtics, like they're going to see on Saturday, I believe he'd be in the lineup. So that says a lot there. And Kuzma, I give him some credit. He tried to provide perspective, uh, which sometimes fans want their piece of flesh after a (laughs) team collapses the way the Lakers did in the fourth quarter. But he said, I've been coached by Jason Kidd for two years now, and he's taught me that this is – a rehearsal for the playoffs. Uh, We are a team built for the playoffs. The regular season is a rehearsal for the playoffs. We aren't practicing because of the pandemic, and so we're using our games as practices, and sometimes that ends up in an ugly result.
1: So, I mean, which is a staggering statement, Dave. When you say they're using their games as practice, it makes the regular season feel somewhat meaningless. So what can we actually take away from anything we see from the Lakers during the regular season?
4: Well, that's one way to look at it, and that's a fair point. You could also say that it makes it more interesting to tune in because who would have thought the Detroit Pistons would have a chance to beat LeBron James in the Lakers? And so I I think you could look at both sides of the coin, but LeBron's a guy who is notoriously impatient uh, when it comes to putting his teams together. And to me, that's the next step of this progression of watching him and watching how he reacts if they have more uneven performances like that, because he'll put pressure on on the coaching staff and on the front office to make sure they are doing what's right uh, to be on the right track for the championship. And so, you know, whether that is going to be Frank Vogel having to recognize that being too deep actually is a a more of a a problem than a blessing. And I need to stick with certain amount of guys and give them run. I mean, there was some talk uh, amongst people that I was texting with last night, close to the Lakers team, that Talon Horton Tucker is the clear decision in terms of giving minutes to off the bench over Wesley Matthews. But Wesley Matthews is the veteran who they enticed to leave the Milwaukee Bucks to come to the Lakers with a chance to win a championship, so there's some politics at play there. And you know, that's what I'm looking at as they move forward here, uh, if they settle on that, that combo guard off the bench, if Talon Horton Tucker gets minutes over Wesley Matthews. And again, uh, let's see – If they don't get right back to their winning ways, how LeBron responds to it.
2: It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to ESPN NBA reporter Dave McMenamin. I saw two stats. LeBron averaging a career low in minutes and also an average speed of 3.61 miles per hour this season, the lowest average speed of any player. So conserving energy in totality and also even when he's out on the court. You might not know the answer to this. Does this feel like necessity or choice, meaning he feels a little bit less than perfect, so he's taken a load off, or he's deciding to protect himself, so he's proactively limiting himself?
4: I I think it was the 2017 playoff run that the Cavs had where LeBron said that I I have figured out ways to conserve energy on the court. So uh, not really surprising. This is part of his playbook that he's, Kind of put out there, um, and we are able to digest that there will be going to be moments where he is going to be going full bore, uh, but th- those are fewer and fewer as his career progresses. He's year 18, 36 years old, but the production is obviously there, and to me, it, it, it's more than okay, yes, sometimes they put him on the weakest offensive player on the opposition, and sometimes he doesn't give his full energy uh, on the defensive end, but. His just commitment and presence means so much to this team. I mean, again, Anthony Davis, 27 years old, didn't play last night. LeBron hasn't missed a game all season long. And while he did miss some shots down the stretch, he started that game seven for seven, and he gave the rest of his teammates a boost in an arm that they needed to drum up some energy in day nine of a seven-game road trip uh, playing on a back-to-back. You know, sometimes you know, he's going to need some help out there as well.
1: We're talking ESPN NBA reporter Dave McMiniman. So, Dave, if the Lakers stay constructed as they currently are, who in the West are they actually concerned about?
4: To me, it's the Clippers. And when LeBron did that sit-down with Richard Jefferson and Channing Frye and Allie Clifton uh, on their road trip and podcast a couple days before training camp opened up and hearing him speak, quite frankly, about how he totally anticipated playing the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals, that – shows you how he views that team. And to me, they've only gotten better, Uh, you know, while the Lakers pulled away Montrose Howell from them and that he has been a very productive member of the Purple and Gold. Serge Ibaka has fit in well there. Nick Batum, they've kind of picked up off the trash heap and he's looking like a productive player once again. Uh, Teron Liu is, you know, not that Doc Rivers doesn't have championship credentials, but Teron Liu, uh, I certainly believe in, in his ability to, you know, make connections uh, amongst a, a fractured locker room, Paul George is a uh, rejuvenated player, and, and Kawhi Leonard seems to be more committed to playing more often, which seems to be something that plagued the team last year. So that that's the team to me uh, that it seemed like they're on a collision course last year. The the train went off schedule a little bit <laughs> thanks to Jamal Murray and the Nuggets, uh, but uh, I think you know battle of L.A. is a very real thing that the Lakers are anticipating come this year's playoffs.
2: Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, talking to ESPN NBA reporter Dave McMenamin. Lakers have the Celtics next. Um, does it feel like they care about any outside conversation, i.e., does it matter to them to have a two-game slide and to get people back to thinking they're unstoppable, or is so much focus put on whatever's best at the end of the season that they're they're, they're really not even concerned with Internally or externally what it would mean to lose three in a row?
4: I don't think they'll lose their mind over it, Sarah, but certainly for a team that internally goes into a season with the state of the goal of let's not lose two in a row all year long. And it only happened three times last year, uh, and the first time was with injuries. The second time was surrounding the death of Kobe Bryant. The third time was in the bubble when they already had the number one seed locked up and they were resting guys. I imagine they come out with some sort of pride and statement uh, effort against Boston because they don't, they, they fail. <laughs> they lost two in a row. <laughs> they don't want that to continue with the third game uh, losing streak. And so to me, it is something that, that will matter to them in the moment, but let's just say the Celtics beat them. I don't think their confidence is fractured to the point where they go into a tailspin and they aren't one of the teams to be reckoned with when everything matters.
1: Dave uh, Bradley Beal obviously has come up in some conversation and uh, Stephen A said you know hey'd love to see him on the Clippers is there anything that would be done in the Western Conference that would force the Lakers in your mind to be reactionary in how they've constructed their roster
4: no I I don't think this is the final version of their roster and that's kind of been the MO of whomever is is running the LeBron James team uh for the last seven years that I've covered him uh, whether it was David Griffin or Kobe Altman or now Rob Palenka it was always the understanding of we enter into the season with some flexibility knowing that it's a work in progress and know that it might take 40 games to see uh, what where we have redundancies or what we're lacking and I think they will adjust their roster uh, come March but for them to you know feel the pressure of needing to make a major move because James Harden went to the Nets or if somehow Bradley Beal ends up on another one of these top tier contenders, I I don't see it being a panic button situation. Uh, And also like, I don't know if they really have the assets. They don't really have a a, a huge stock of draft picks because they sent them all away in the Anthony Davis deal. So I don't know how much uh, ability they would be able to have even if they just said, okay, well, if if Bradley Beal went to the Clippers, we got to get player X and we'll, empty out the the cupboard cupboard to do so, the cupboard's pretty bare. (laughs) Their assets are on the court right now.
2: And they're looking pretty good despite the two-game slide. Dave, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it.
4: Appreciate you, Dave. Yep, you got it,
2: guys. ESPN NBA reporter Dave McMenamin with us here on Spain & Fitz. Coming up, some NBA storylines tonight that we're paying attention to as well. One team going for an 11th straight win. We'll talk about it next. ESPN Radio.
0: Spain & Fitz, the podcast.
2: The content. Every night here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We did a couple pre-parties this week. Digital content you can only get when you subscribe to the podcast. Things tend to get weird. We usually save the weirdness for the final segment of Fridays, which is tonight. Uh, And then those pre- and after parties. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. Just talked to Dave McMenamin about the Lakers. And I think everyone I've talked to about them has the same feeling they're just bored right they just there's no reason to feel super inspired to get up for the Pistons and so they just didn't bring it Anthony Davis wasn't playing I still have them as tops in the league uh even with the Nets as as star-studded as they are um you're gonna have to really prove to me that you can outdo that Lakers team that got even better in the offseason than they were when they won it all last year that being said there is a team in the West. That at least according to their record and their recent success is even hotter. And that is the Utah Jazz sitting at fourteen and four, going for a tenth straight win tonight. And Fitz, I think the problem that I have in 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 this season, last season, every season with the NBA is there's just so many teams that can get hot in the regular season and look good, but until they do it in the postseason, I don't trust them.
1: Well, and also I want to go back to the metric you gave earlier about LeBron and the essentially what he's using on the court out of his energy, right? Like I always use the video game turbo button analogy. It's like he's (laughs) saving all of his turbo until he gets to the playoffs. So this is a moment where while I don't want to take anything away from Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz and, and what they're doing, I don't want to take anything away from that. But at the same time, I think it's impossible not to look at the Lakers and say, okay, we know they have another gear, and that's what it's all about, is whatever that next gear is. They are better than they were last year. And LeBron is conserving some level of energy. And matchup-wise, they're just a nightmare for everybody still. like The Lakers' plan has worked exactly as they hoped. While they are still getting greatness from LeBron, Anthony Davis is cementing his own legacy there. And then at some point, whenever there is a passing of the torch, AD will be able to take over and continue that level of dominance. If you're a Lakers fan right now, you've got a a swagger to you because it just feels like they're better than everybody. And whatever we're seeing right now is the Lakers' greatness constrained, like restrained. They're holding themselves back and still kicking butt. I know two losses in a row is a big deal. But is it for the Lakers? No.
2: Yeah, the good news for the Jazz is that it certainly sounds like They're not taking themselves uh, too seriously at this point. They understand the context during which they're having this success. Rudy Gobert said, it's exciting, but it's really early in the season. Our goal is obviously to be one of the best teams in the league, but it's really to be ready for the playoffs. They've been outstanding. They've outscored their opponents by 153 points during their 10-game win streak, longest winning stretch in the league for anyone this season. Won almost all those games by double digits. And Rudy Gobert has been fantastic. 29 points, 20 boards, 3 steals, and 3 blocks against the Mavericks um, in their most recent victory. This is what you want to see from a team, particularly when Donovan Mitchell is out for a concussion. Other players are stepping up. They have an opportunity to make it 11 tonight. And, you know, this is a team that's depended so much on fantastic defense, Gobert being the centerpiece of that. But the offense now, stepping up their game and, and, and being real... Real problem, really tough to deal with. They're the best three-point shooting team in NBA history. They are on pace right now to have an average of more than 16 made threes per game. This is exactly the kind of build that you want to take into the postseason. Hot shooting from the outside, defensive stalwarts, and a couple guys that can go off. Um, but again, I'm I'm so cynical at this point because we see these teams that look fantastic. We see these teams that I want to root for at the next level like the Blazers or, or, you know, the Jazz last year. And it just it doesn't translate once you get into a series where a team can strategize. Then it feels like it's about, do you have two to three transcendent Hall of Famers at once? And if not, eh, it's going to be tough right now in the NBA.
1: Yeah, well, and by the way, concussion protocol always feels strange to me in the NBA. I just can't wrap my head around. I'm so used to concussion protocol in the NFL. I hear it for Donovan Mitchell, and it, it, just, it, it sort of shakes me every time I hear it. And most importantly, I know he's out tonight, but uh, hopefully he can get back soon. You're right, though. It, when it comes down to NBA playoff basketball, we all know it's matchup oriented, right? So uh, who's going to stop AD and LeBron? And that's what it always comes down to. The same thing I felt like we were saying when we were in the bubble. Like, I don't want to oversimplify things, but at some point, things can be simple. It's allowed to just be their best two or better than your best two. And you don't really have anybody that can stop them from imposing their will. And, and we thought that there would be limitations by only having two great players for the Lakers last year, that there would be limitations due to lack of depth. There weren't they, they managed it and they're a better team. They're a deeper team this year. And they become exactly what they hoped a place where people want to go and try and get a ring at the end of their career. Right? So I, I just can't find a way that they're going to shut down LeBron and AD, and that's just, that's going to be, until, until I see somebody do it, I, I don't see why this is any different than what we saw last year.
2: The NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night as LeBron and the Lakers visit Tatum and the Celtics, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. Uh, obviously, uh, there's still a lot of focus on the very top of the NBA, and, and those teams that are having success, but maybe a little bit extra focus on the bottom as we're trying to figure out what's going to happen with the heat. We're going to have a Miami guest on later in the show to see if they're out of it or if they still have time to get themselves back into the mix, especially once Jimmy Butler returns, but also the wizards who are absolute trash, but all eyes are on them because of Bradley Beal and the potential for him to be added to a team and immediately change them. The latest name in the mix, the Clippers who are getting Kawhi and Paul George back. Um, and, are certainly a team that becomes even more interesting. They disappointed last year, but a lot of people are not out on them, Fitz, just because of the way things went down in the playoffs last year. You had Beal to that team, and I'm, I'm worried if I'm the Lakers or the Nets.
1: Well, sure, but I think the curious part to me is like we have this never-ending line that moves depending on how we feel about certain players when it comes to joining other teams, right? Like right. How often do we hear everybody yell about super teams? But then yeah, the Katie is a of,
2: cupcake, but Beal yeah. we feel sorry for.
1: <laughs> yeah, Beal. It's like well they've been wasting him, and and he'd have the opportunity to go help the Clippers take on the Lakers, and that would make for great matchups in the Western Conference. And it's like. So much for the spreading of, and, and balance of talent in the NBA. I mean, hey, I'm all in for it. If, if Bradley Beale can go to the Clippers, uh, that's spectacular. Frankly, I'd love to see him go to the Bucks. I know that Giannis has been uh, hot on him for a long time. I'd love to see that. It, we've already got drama in the East. Give me more drama. I love that. But it's funny to me that we feel so bad for Beale in general that we're gonna say it's cool if he goes to yeah, a. Yeah, but like, you know what? You
2: actually just—I think you just answered your own question, which is—you said so much for parity. I think that's actually the problem. We didn't like it when KD did it because it made the Warriors unstoppable, or so it felt. Now we want it because the Lakers feel unstoppable. Now we want people to go team up if it means that they can compete with the likes of the Nets and the Lakers. I think so much of the way people feel about those things is the player himself, the situation he's leaving, the situation he's going to, but also what does it mean for the good basketball that we're going to (laughs) get? right? And I think right. you're going to take something like that to catch up to the Lakers. That might be part of this.
1: Well, and that is a fair point because there is drama and unpredictability in the East. I think the East, the playoffs for the Eastern Conference are going to be electric to watch, right? You're, you're absolutely right. that We're just sitting here banking on the Clippers being able to do what they didn't do last year and give the Lakers some sort of a run. So maybe it gives better balance there. It's just at some point it just feels like there's going to be four teams that are stacked and everybody else isn't. And and that's that's fine. As long as it gives us entertaining basketball, I get it. I just think – at some point we have to then be honest about how much we're trashing other players that leave to go to super teams.
2: Yeah. I'm not, I'm not someone who trashes those folks in in the first place, but especially with Beal, I do think there's an element of sympathy there. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Um, Some other news in the basketball world today. Uh, John Chaney, hall of fame coach uh, has passed away at the age of 89, led temple to 17 NCAA tournament appearances. You and I were talking about it before the show. And Bumani mentioned this. A guy who made Temple feel relevant and a place that you go. And it was entirely because of what he did for that program. And uh, uh, lots of great memories coming out from folks in the basketball world. A legendary career and someone who you just identify with a place so distinctly. Uh, So thoughts go out to his family and friends as he passed away today. Coming up, a former quarterback with a bold statement about the upcoming Mahomes-Brady Super Bowl matchup. It's coming up next on Spain and Fitz
1: on ESPN Radio.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And it's that time of the year, Sarah. As we get ready for the Super Bowl, here's the problem. We got two weeks to get ready for the Super Bowl, which means we spend two weeks obsessing and overthinking about every tiny piece of minutiae around it, and then really convincing ourselves of all of the hype that's around it. So Obviously, as we get ready for the Super Bowl, we're, we're getting this quarterback matchup that everybody's got their eyes on between Brady and Mahomes. What's interesting to me, though, is if you went back before the season started and said, hey, I think it's going to be Brady versus Mahomes in the Super Bowl, if that would have been my big pick people would have said, ah, take a chance. Come on, like, that's too predictable. It's such an easy answer. Now, it was a strange season, a roundabout way to get there. There were times during the year that we weren't convinced who the best team in the NFC was, but we ended up with a somewhat predictable matchup, and as a result to me, it feels like we're trying to find all of these crazy angles that make it so different and so wild when, in fact, it's just Brady versus Mahomes, which we could have called in August.
2: I disagree with you. Uh, and here's why, because I think there's a little revisionist history being done on we called this or we saw it coming. Now, the idea of Brady and and Mahomes facing off isn't all that ridiculous or uh, out of the blue. But I, I think we had a lot of questions about what Brady had left. Think about the way we talk about people that the Patriots let go. We are always like. They're always one step ahead of everyone. If the Patriots don't want you anymore, you don't got it anymore. And they were coming off a meh year, right? And so I think it's a surprise that we ended up here already, even though we talked a lot about the Bucks sort of being built to 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 make a huge step forward with a with a quality quarterback. They had a great defense. They had great weapons. And Jameis Winston gave, the way, gave away the ball so much that those losses were really easily pinpointed on turnovers. So you insert Brady, but with no offseason – no preseason, thrust into action with a lot of disparate pieces that had not been on the team before. It's remarkable that they made it here. I don't need to manufacture any hype. I'm sick and tired of Brady dominating the league because he doesn't play for my team, and he's not my favorite player. But this is an incredible matchup. I don't know if I would go as far as Tony Romo has, though, in trying to sell us on it.
1: Well, yeah, because Romo has gone out on the record and let us know uh, that he thinks that this is a— Uh, This is his quote. That This will be the biggest uh, game, or this is his concept, I should say. The biggest game Mahomes will play for the rest of his career. Because if he loses, (laughs) he can't catch Brady as the GOAT. This is, uh, (laughs) like, let me be clear. I think this is an amazing matchup. The chance to see Mahomes versus Brady... I'm hyped for it. Look, I I obviously hate Brady and the Chiefs, so this is the hate bowl for me. I don't like either of these organizations (laughs) or teams at this point. Rooting for the meteor. I I mean, at least I can appreciate it and say, man, this is the type of Super Bowl you'll tell your grandkids about. Like, I am excited for it. But this concept of of blowing it up like Mahomes has to have this game because otherwise he can't catch Brady as the goat. Like, that presumes everything goes wrong for him for the rest of his career. I can't make that presumption. I think it was
2: Jackie Mack today on Around the Horn who said Tony Promo, which is just (laughs) perfect because he's nailing it here. Like, you want to get people hyped? He's saying the right things. And I agree with him in his comparisons. This is Jordan facing off against LeBron in the finals. This is Jack Nicholas playing Tiger Woods. Like, that's true based on our expectations for Mahomes. But it's also Tony Romo taking his Romo Stradamus or whatever where he predicts things a little too far. I get he can predict a play... A minute or a few seconds before, I don't think he can predict the next 20 years. And that's essentially what he's doing by saying, quote, this is the matchup people will be talking about 25 to 50 years from now. And that if Mahomes ever wants to catch Brady's six rings, he has to win this one. That's not true. What if Mahomes wins 12 Super Bowls? Will we go back to this one and be like, yeah, but he lost that one to Brady. So I think Brady's better. And also Brady's 43. And also football is a team sport. They're not arm wrestling. So whichever one wins this, it's not necessarily just about them. It could be about their defense and coaching decisions and strategy. So while I think it's great that Romo is selling the hell out of this game, and if I were his bosses, I'd be pretty fired up about it, this is a great matchup for right now. It will not tell us the future for Mahomes, because even if you think he could end up being the GOAT, what happens if those weapons go away? What happens if Andy Reid retires? What happens if he gets injured? What happens if some team takes on Deshaun Watson and he becomes Mahomes when he's not in a completely dysfunctional team and they take over and dominate? Uh, there's just so much up in the air, but hell of a job promoting it, Tony. Promo. Uh,
1: well, and, and by the way, everything you just said, I mean, spot on. We should clip that uh, when it comes to <laughs> the fact that like, this is a team game, obviously, and individual performance is going to matter in the context of the conversation. I mean, It is possible for Patrick Mahomes to go out and have a record performance. Let's be, let's at least acknowledge that last year, going into the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, Mahomes wasn't playing all that lights out. Now, he gets all the the credit for the win because he's Patrick Mahomes, but conversely, he could go out and throw for 500 yards and they still lose the game, and and that's not going to suddenly be the legacy ender for him, but if the Chiefs make a dozen more Super Bowl appearances, Sarah, I'm going to be in rehab. Like I can't handle that. Like There's got to be some level of, of balance here but I think your point's right I mean we forget how young Patrick Mahomes is I understand there are a lot of young quarterbacks in the AFC that look very very good but Mahomes is doing this at such a young age it's why you know Trey Wingo used to always call him future Hall of Famer Patrick Mahomes I uh-huh. realize that's a lot of conjecture But he's played so well at this point, he deserves benefit of the doubt moving forward. The Chiefs have assembled their roster so well. I can't look at anything from this one game and say it will define the rest of Mahomes' legacy because he's a kid in this sport. He has so much time left to do so much more.
2: Well, and Tom Brady, old, right? (laughs) You can't. Tom Brady, if Tom Brady wins this Super Bowl, he will have individually more Super Bowl wins than any one franchise I believe that's... uh, Maybe not the Patriots, because I think they won two without him. Either way, the point is, I think outside of teams he's been on and contributed to, there isn't a team that's going to have won more than him individually. So you're going to say, well, okay, I guess Mahomes is better now because you beat him when he was 43 on a team in his first year there in a pandemic. right? I mean, it's just silly. It's silly to put so much stress on on the one game. But I, I do agree that it doesn't need any extra hype. Like, this is... A tremendous team that is not even dependent on its Hall of Fame quarterback to win. He threw three picks in the second half, and they still won, right? And then, on the other hand, it's this Chiefs team that it felt like we took forever to get Andy Reid to win his first, and now it feels like he could be keep coming back here every year because of the quarterback he has, not to mention the weapons he has around him. Um, so this, to me, it could be an absolute—first of all, now that we're talking about it this way, Fitz, it's going to be 9-3, to
1: <laughs> like no, no. it's gonna be just one but, of the I mean, but you're not wrong, like think about what's the book on how to beat the chiefs, control the clock and run the football right like that's supposed to be the weakness that you can control time of possession like yeah uh, what if what if the the bucks come in with a game plan where essentially they take the ball out of Brady's hands. They just try and limit the the possessions, control the the time of possession, and end up winning a low scoring game. Like, is that suddenly reflective of Brady or Mahomes at this point? No, I mean, like it's it's a it's a team game. That's all I'm saying. Is it? Yeah. It is a team game. A lot of and people right. don't
2: remember that. <laughs> no,
1: well, of course, I, I, we make it all about just those two guys, and but realistically, I don't think that there's anything that will happen in this game that will change the greatness of Tom Brady, and conversely, I think it's so early in Patrick Mahomes' career that no matter what happens at this game, the, the coming years will define his legacy, not what happens a week from Sunday. It's Bain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Call or click today and find out if they could save you hundreds on on your car insurance for all of this Super Bowl conversation. There are a couple of things that you have to know. COVID restrictions are in place. We'll tell you about them next so you know what's going to happen to these teams. Plus, the one weird thing about it all happening in Tampa this year. We'll break it down next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast.
1: Spain on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. We get you some exclusive content out there. You can only get on the podcast, including the occasional naughty word. It's a good listen. Uh, Click and subscribe (laughs) and make sure that you hang out. I love that I'm always naughty words here. Like, I'm such a child. You and your...
2: What do you also say, naughty bits or no, uh, no, no, no place. places. no, no places? <laughs> like,
1: that's my grown up. Uh, that, that, that's me being full on grown up. Uh, no, it's bits. No yeah, no, no. Well, you know that's that's ever the child. Uh, Listen, make people sure that are weird up-
2: about the real words. I got kicked out of a Dodgers game for yelling penis repeatedly, and I was like, it's anatomically correct term. So you know, maybe you're better off with no, no places.
1: I'm really. I've got. I've got nothing. Like I thought I was going to have something. <laughs> The good news
2: is I kept them talking until the game ended. So technically I did not get removed. I talked to them and convinced them they were wrong right up until the game ended. And they're like, well, the game's over anyway. I'm like, fine. I will leave on my own.
1: Accord. Thank you. That is um, that is a heck of a way to get kicked out. I uh, <laughs> I have been told to sit down at a Vandy game for, for cheering too much in the football, uh, but that, that's. I remember that's that story. The Didn't closest end well I've for you. To. Yeah. Yeah, that's about the closest <laughs> it came. Okay, so want to make sure that you guys know uh, an important COVID note revolving around the Super Bowl. Uh, and this is important for everybody uh, as we keep our eyes on the game. Uh, any player or coach with a positive test beginning today will be ruled out for the Super Bowl. So uh, Bucks and Chiefs players and coaches will be tested twice daily. So starting today, any player or coach with a positive test will be ruled out for the Super Bowl. And Sarah... I know we've had a lot of conversations about why bubbles won't work and the NFL can't do it. What I can't figure out is why they didn't bubble up the Super Bowl. Like, it seems simple when you know where the Super Bowl is going to be to have figured out a place, quarantined a place, clean a place, sanitized a place, get everything set, and take the two teams down there, test everybody, and make them live in a bubble for two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl because it is a worst-case scenario, God forbid, should some of the stars involved in the game be ruled out because of a COVID test or even contact tracing around it. You are absolutely right. It is shocking. We heard all along that it wasn't feasible
2: because of the number of players, and that's absolutely true. But now you only got two teams. They should have been put in a protective bubble one minute after the game ended, assuming that they had all tested negative and were ready to go. Um, listen, this is fascinating to watch, Fitz, because there's already an expectation that when you might never be back here. So the only focus for you over the next two weeks before the Super Bowl should be, well, now a week and a half or whatever, is to just be available. And there's the famous stories of of Barrett Robinson. Remember? Well, you remember uh, the Raiders. Yeah, center. waking up
1: on the Super Bowl and finding out that my my favorite team's uh, starting center had gone AWOL and gone to t He's gone AWOL yes. and
2: unfortunately ended up having, I think, some mental health issues that explained it. Mm-hmm. Eugene Robinson. Remember? The night before the Super Bowl, he accepts the Bart Starr Award for the player with the best moral character, and that same evening was arrested for soliciting an undercover cop as a prostitute and was, you know, not great on the field the next night either. But, like, these people who make bad decisions right before uh, Stanley Wilson. Remember that one? Bengals Mm -hmm. running back who went on a cocaine bender and was found by one of his coaches the night before the game? Uh, These these stories come out, and you think to yourself, how is it possible— that before the biggest moment of your life, you put your ability and availability at jeopardy. And how does that react? Uh, How do your teammates react to that? Well, in this case, it wouldn't just be you, right? Imagine the pressure of anybody in a room with Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady for the next week plus. Just like, I'm going, no, this is like me and my parents for the last year, right? Like, (laughs) All right, I'm going to try to see my parents, which means I'm not leaving my house for two weeks. I'm getting tested, and I'm not touching anything because I would like to see my parents, and I cannot be responsible for anything bad happening to them. That is how everyone must feel anytime they come within 25 feet of either of those two quarterbacks leading up to the Super Bowl.
1: Well, and and you mentioned Barrett Robbins, and one of the things that was interesting uh, reading a few years later as he was pretty open about the mental health issues he was having – is it was being in the Super Bowl that caused him to go AWOL. It was the stress and pressure of realizing that it was the biggest moment of his life, and he wasn't—he just couldn't handle it. So, yeah. you know, you think about as much as we look at guys and say, well, why would you be that idiot? Things aren't that simple at right. that level. And so understanding what makes people tick and why they do what they do, I mean, this is as pressure-filled as it can get, but even as, as all the way down to – you know, ordering takeout. Like, if you're putting yourself in any situation where you're in contact with anyone, you're at risk. Like, that's just real. We all know it. And I'm not trying to live in fear, per se, but when you're talking about the Super Bowl and you talk about the, the success that we saw from the NBA and the bubble, I think what's curious here is that they didn't put something in place long in advance for the NFL, considering... The money that's at stake. I mean, this is, again, it's a God forbid scenario. But God forbid one of these teams starting quarterbacks uh, has an issue. Uh, And all of a sudden, the NFL is dealing with their absolute worst case scenario coming into uh, the Super Bowl. Like, that's that's not only a ratings killer, it's a money killer. I'm surprised they didn't spend the money to make sure that there were systems in place that would just absolutely prevent any variables from happening because this is the single biggest sporting event of the year. The numbers show it. Every year in the NFL knows how important it is to them.
2: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I completely agree with you. And I also think one of the big conversation points every Super Bowl in the weeks before is the immense pressure on the players from family members and friends. Can you get me tickets? Can you hook me up for this? In some ways, that will not be the case this time. Because there aren't parties and fun things to go to, and because the tickets are so limited that I think it's a pretty easy can't help you out, and everyone believes you because it is 22,000 minus what 16,000 or something that's going to healthcare workers, whatever it is. It's a very small number available, and they're very expensive. So you're not getting those calls as much, but if you're getting anyone, who lives nearby Tampa and wants to come hang out or anyone who wants to see you or your barber who says, let me get you a fresh cut before the game or your fashion stylist who wants to get you in the right fit before you do media stuff. Like any of that takes on a totally different meaning now as you're trying to figure out, do I just not leave my bedroom for two <laughs> Right? Like do I just get on these zoom calls and show up to whatever's required? And other than that, avoid anything and everything that could keep me from being available. It's the amount of stress to your point, added to the regular buildup of I need to perform my very best in this moment in case it's the only time I get it, uh, add on all the anxiety we're all already feeling, oof, it's a lot.
1: In Spain and fits on ESPN Radio, it's also going to be a weird – Super Bowl experience for so many people you know and you and I last year we were down there and uh, uh, we met up at one of the parties and you know just uh, walking around and seeing the way the the city the energy of the city and the celebrities that are there and the people that are showing up at random parties and all like that's part of the Super Bowl experience obviously that temptation going to be gone for a lot of the players but It's going to be weird to see how some of these sponsors and some of the people that usually have such big events around the Super Bowl to promote their brands even figure out how to do these things virtually. Like It's still going on for anyone that doesn't know. It's just all of a sudden these things are going to be virtual events instead, and it's a reminder that this is such a strange year down in Tampa.
2: One of my friends is on the Super Bowl planning committee and has been at it for a couple years. and We were down there last year and hanging out with him he was like, you're in luck. Next year, I'm on the committee. Like, we're doing everything. I'm like, hell yeah. I got the ins to all the stuff. And now I'm more like, I feel so bad for you, dude. How is it going? Like, how has it been to try to rearrange everything you had years in the making? I was saw a, a, a note about um, Shaq having essentially a Super Bowl virtual party. Um, his is one of the big ones every year that you get tickets for that has great musical guests. And instead he's doing virtual celebrity challenges and music that's going to be simulcasted across a bunch of platforms. And it's great to be creative and find a spin to still do something, but man, it's just not the same. And especially, I just talked to my friend today and he was like, add into that the lightning win, the razor in the, in the world series. Now we've got the, the bucks and, Tampa just hasn't been able to throw down. Like that's a lot of missed opportunities to crush.
1: All I'm hearing right now is that I could have ridden your coattails to get oh, into yeah. three events. That was it. Like my that, that's Chiefs the real connection,
2: focus. my grunt connection. Like we had both sides covered for the after parties. This is a real shame.
1: I mean, this is this is the the single greatest uh, hardship around the Super Bowl. Obviously, so I'm not <laughs> in To be honest, we're the most
2: we're the most struck by the un- unluckiness of it all.
1: Yeah, well, hopefully, keep those contacts running. Next year's in San Francisco. We'll figure it out. Coming up, (laughs) why have the heat gone from the NBA Finals to one of the East's worst team? We'll break it down with an expert next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: Very special history behind this song that we will get to in a moment here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Certified banger, that song. Like, one of the greatest love songs of all time.
1: So good. No disagreement.
2: You agree. You agree. We're presented by Progressive Insurance and it's time for Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We're going to get the straight talk on the heat and whether their start is just a matter of injury and COVID and missing players or something to be concerned about. We'll head out to the Goodyear hotline where Jeremy Taché of Fox Sports Florida joins us. Jeremy, thanks for coming on.
5: Thanks so much for having me on, guys. I really, really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, we can tell. You tweeted like 18 times. I'm going to be ESPN Radio, but I'm be to totally chill about it, though. Um, let's talk about oh, the Heat. God. Like, my guy Jimmy Butler has only played six games. So it's, as, right. as Jackie Mack said today, it's an incomplete grade. You can't tell what this team could be this year without Jimmy Butler. But at what point do you start getting worried that they're going to run out of time to get themselves together and catch up?
5: That's a, a really good point, that incomplete would be the word to describe all of this right they've played 18 games and jimmy's missed 12 he's missed 10 straight um it, you know i think maybe halfway through the year right they've released the schedule through march right now i think if they're still 10 games under 500 or something at that point maybe it's time to press the panic button but it's way too early considering the injuries considering how little their four best players have all played together in Jimmy, Goron, Bam, and Tyler. So I think it's a bit too early to be that concerned.
1: So what fixes them other than just getting healthy? I mean, their offensive efficiency numbers are just hot garbage. We all know that. Is it just they get healthy and everything's perfect?
5: Look, I I don't think that everything will be perfect immediately. Also, because, you know, Jimmy Butler was out with, COVID, right? Who knows what he'll be like when he comes back in terms of just his efficiency right off the bat. But I think the big thing to take note of when you're looking at this team and their offensive efficiency is the guys who have been out specifically. Bam Adebayo essentially has been their point guard for multiple games because the three guys who were out the last number of nights were Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, Tyler Hero. Uh, You're effectively replacing Jimmy Butler's ball handling minutes with Gabe Vincent handling minutes. And for that matter, Gabe Vincent was their best player against the Clippers uh, last night. So it's the guys who are replacing them are young. They're inexperienced. And thus, there's going to be more turnovers when it's you know primarily Kendrick Nunn and Gabe Vincent handling the ball as opposed to Goran Dragic and Jimmy Butler. So I think very quickly things do get fixed for them. It's just a matter of this group getting a chance to gel together.
2: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, talking to Fox Sports Florida's Jeremy Taché. Uh, Listen, it's bad enough to lose to the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Patrick Beverly, but (laughs) to do so in front of fans. Fans were allowed back in, and then they had to witness that. Uh, One of the cool parts about it, they were using COVID-sniffing dogs to help them Mm -hmm. figure out as fans came into the ballpark. Did you hear anything about whether they sniffed anyone out?
5: Yeah, no, so so they did not sniff anyone out. So somehow the positivity rate of the 1,000 or 2,000 people that went to that game was zero in Miami. Uh, when, you know, otherwise in this city, it's, it's, it's not exactly zero. Uh, but it seemed like all went pretty well. It was obvious that they were, um, you know, really careful about enforcing, you know, the mask policy. They were careful about enforcing social distancing. You could see how spread out all the fans were. Unfortunately, it was just about as bad of a game to come back to as possible, blowing an 18-point lead and getting blown out. So unfortunately for those fans, they didn't exactly get the premier performance. But hopefully, you know, Jimmy Butler will be back. There's, there's rumors that he'll be back as, as soon as tomorrow. We'll see uh, if that's the case. But hopefully he comes back soon and, and the fans can witness some more fun because certainly that wasn't it last night.
2: Well, and also the good news in Miami is that they only have to be vigilant about the mask wearing for that second half since the fans don't show up till then. (laughs) So uh, just less time. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Uh, All
1: right, Jeremy. Let let me give benefit of the doubt to everybody here then and say, all right, uh, Butler comes back, the Heat get get on a roll, everything's great. The East has changed a lot since the bubble. So, mm-hmm. how will this Heat team, if they get everything back and everything goes right, how do they stack up now against the 76ers, Bucks, the, the, the Pacers, the top of the East at this point?
5: Well, we've seen the way that they can handle the Bucks already. Um, we saw it, for that matter, earlier this season. They played earlier in the year and looked pretty good against the Bucks when they were at full strength. Uh, I think the big thing, obviously, you worry about a team like the Nets who. Ironically, they almost beat with a just gargantuan performance from Bam Adebayo, who who nearly, really, Bam looked like the best player on the floor with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden for one night. Uh, And that was pretty special to watch, even in a loss. I think the big thing is going to be what's their defensive versatility when those guys come back. So now, you know, we know that Bam's a great two-way player. We know that Jimmy's a great two-way player. How can these other role players, when they're not overextended, be defensively? So how do they replace what Jay Crowder did for them a bit in the playoffs last year? Does, is that KZ Akpala? Is it Andre Iguodala? We'll still have to see who does that for them. Um, I think they can still match up with just about anyone, though, because when you have a player like Jimmy Butler, who we saw, you know, put up, A 35- and 40-point triple-double in the finals. You have Bam Adebayo, who's emerging as a top-15 player. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson can shoot. Goran Dragic's experience. I just think that they're still built to be a really tough outcome playoff time.
2: It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Jeremy Taché of Fox Sports Florida with us. Uh, We're all music fans here. Fitz, a musician, you a musician. I fancy myself, you know, a karaoke star and the other night on Twitter, as I was uh, wrapping up my evening, uh, which was just a day full of trash, you you, you made my day better with this incredible fact <laughs> about a former Bengals player named Mike Reed, who is still alive, still with us, 73 years old now, um, retired before any of us were born, and had been this incredible musician throughout his, his collegiate career. Like while he was playing at Penn State, he was performing with different orchestras, But Mm -hmm. the news that he retired from the NFL, having played in a couple of Super Bowls, elected to the College Football Hall of Fame, was like a tremendous football player, but also became a songwriter of great music was so cool to me because I love the idea of this beefy bruiser of a defensive tackle sitting down to pen these like beautiful romantic words. How did you go down the rabbit hole to learn about Mike Reed? (laughs)
5: it's it it was the ultimate rabbit hole i was listening to to a podcast called all fantasy everything if you guys have heard of it i was with ian carmel and i was listening to an episode of theirs from 2017 in which they talked about the best karaoke songs and (laughs) this somehow came up as a after a breakup karaoke song which man that sounds like an emotional experience right i can't make you love
2: me by bonnie Raitt. the tune yeah
5: Yes, I Can't Make You Love Me by, by Bonnie Raitt. And so I, I, for whatever reason, was struck by that and decided to look up the song and, and, and thought about all the different incredible covers that there have been. And I was like, I wonder how Bonnie Raitt's doing with the residuals of this. And then realized she was not the songwriter. And so from there, I was like, well, now I have to learn everything about the people who wrote this song. So I click on Mike Reed's Wikipedia page, thinking innocently, all right, what other songs has this guy written? Not knowing of his you know, illustrious career himself, he had his own number one hit with Walk on Faith in the country world. And so I find out that this guy's a former football player who was an all-pro in the NFL and retired after just five seasons to pursue his music career. Which I just thought was the coolest thing in the world. And to figure out that this, like you said, bruiser of a guy who I watched a couple of interviews with him. And he said that when he would go to the Penn State Music School that all of the music students were essentially scared of him because he was a monster <laughs> compared to all of them playing on, you know, nearly national championship teams, he, he played on back-to-back undefeated teams at Penn State. It, all of a sudden, this guy retires to pursue his music career and in the 90s writes to me what's one of the five greatest heartbroken love songs of all time. <laughs> uh, I was just, I was mesmerized by that and felt that, that, the world, and by the world, uh, primarily an audience of very few, including you, Sarah, that <laughs> needed to know.
1: Well, look, and guys, just just point of reference. I mean, he also wrote "Stranger in My House," uh, which won mm-hmm. him a Grammy for Best Country Song. He's in the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. I mean, I, I'm I'm stunned uh, to to hear that that background on him. It makes me feel like I've done nothing with my life. And thank you so much <laughs> for that. I, pre- I mean, you should know it, word. Fitz.
2: I mean, you're a country music star. Did you ever play the song with any of the, the bands you played with?
1: No, but I can't make you love me is a go-to karaoke. The George Michael version is incredible. In case anybody's not familiar, the George Michael version—go check it out. It is. I don't know the George mm-hmm. Michael version. Ooh, it's a karaoke go-to for me. We could do it as a duet, Sarah. Like you. Ooh, I'm go. into a- it.
2: Oh, I am. I am known to bust out that Bonnie Raitt tune when it comes on. I am singing with all of my heart and crying <laughs> usually. <laughs> Jeremy. Thank you for the insight, both musically and and, and uh, hoops wise. Uh, enjoy the uh, hopeful return of the Heat. I think we forgot to mention too that they're just a couple games back of the middle of the pack in the East because yep. uh, nobody is really crushing it. And there's also an expanded playoff <laughs> rosters, uh, sorry, expanded playoff um, spots. So they're still they're they're doing all right. Uh, we can still keep rooting for our boy Jimmy Butler. Thanks for the time, Jeremy. Appreciate it.
5: Thank you guys so much for having me on. Appreciate you, Jeremy.
2: Fox Sports Florida is where you can find him. bringing you the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, it's a Friday, and we got some good sports tender for you tonight. It's next.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: Friday! Happy birthday, Oprah, by the way. One more in Oprah's honor. Friday! You get a Friday. You get a Friday. You get a Friday. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. It is Friday, which means, of course, Friday. There is no time better than a Friday to smash that subscribe button for the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sometimes you get some digital pre and after party goodies you can only get if you subscribe. Do it on the iTunes app, the ESPN app, the podcast app, wherever you get your podcasts. It's also. On Friday, usually the time that we do a little sports tinder while you guys are at home making bad decisions swiping up down left right we are doing the same on some topics that may or may not be sports related if we swipe up we agree with the question if we swipe right we kind of agree swipe left we disagree swipe down we hate it let's do a little sports tinder
0: sports tinder
2: oh yeah i mean that voice I feel like we should talk like this for the rest of the show. Can we get that guy him to come
1: on the show sometime? And just we talk really to should.
2: I want to interview him. I want like, to know more. I don't more.
1: even care if he says the answers that make sense. I just <laughs> want him to talk to us, you know? He's like, word salad, word salad, word salad.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Smartest answer we've ever gotten. Baker Mayfield has responded to Browns fans calling for the Browns to trade for Deshaun Watson. He's not exactly happy about it. Of course, Every team in the league, pretty much, except for the Chiefs, is interested in Deshaun Watson and should be, but Baker Mayfield responded to some of the questions about whether they should go after Watson with tweets that said, some of y'all Browns are funny, and pinned his response at the top of his Twitter in case anyone shows up, knows what he thinks about that. So, should Baker be tweeting about this, Fitz?
1: I am going to swipe.
0: Swipe Swipe down. I hate
1: it. (laughs) I'm going to swipe down. I hate this. And and look, I I mean, Baker has done. I know it's been an up and down career for him so far. And I know that at times football fans and we all know that social media could just be a gross place. I get it. But you got no win here, Baker. There's just nothing that you're going to do that's going to help in going back and clapping back at people. Even if you're in the right, it doesn't matter. In the court of public opinion, it won't be. And it's just a a hill he doesn't need to die on. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and swipe.
0: Swipe left.
1: I'm
2: not going to go down because it, the one part of me says, like, you want your quarterback to be a little cocky and to think that they're awesome. Uh, but I still am going to go ahead and say you're not as awesome as Deshaun Watson, and everyone knows that. So just don't <laughs> even chime in. Like, you could believe that about yourself. You can hope that you don't get traded. But I don't know that you need to throw yourself into the mix there and get us all talking about how you're not as awesome as Deshaun Watson. Uh, all right, moving on. The Australian Open started, and a lot of people were shocked to turn on their TVs and see fans in the stands. Fans with no masks They haven't had a positive Test uh, for COVID In that country in I think a couple weeks now Um, they're They're doing a Fantastic job and in order for the players To be able to participate in this event They had to go on hard 14 day Quarantine in their rooms Not allowed to leave for anything except for a few Hours a day to practice and a lot of them Turned their rooms into faux tennis Courts and figured out ways to work Through it others didn't enjoy it so much And uh, Bernard, uh, what's his last name? I'm blanking on it. Uh, uh, Bernard Topin, I think. Tomic, thank you. Bernard Tomic, his girlfriend, reality star Vanessa Sierra, uh, took to her social media to complain three days into the 14-day quarantine. And this is what really had her upset about being stuck in the room.
3: This is the worst part of quarantine. I don't wash my own hair. I've never washed my own hair. It's just not something that I do.
2: I normally have hairdressers that do it twice
1: a week for me. So this is the situation that we're dealing with.
2: Oh, Lord. I don't wash my own hair. It's not something I've ever done. Uh, should
1: we thank her for her sacrifice, bits? Well, you know, I've decided I'm going to swipe.
0: Swipe right.
1: I feel good about this one. You know, like, she's <laughs> really given the world, and we appreciate her making the sacrifice of figuring out how to wash her own hair through the process. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is a really a difficult moment for her, and, you know, my thoughts and prayers, really, thoughts and prayers uh, to the entire process. Also, of note, she only washes her hair twice a week. Like, I'm presuming, since she's All a right. reality star, that... She's pretty active and also, like, works out. And if she doesn't wash her own hair, she probably has trainers, too. Like, there's a gross funk smell thing that's probably happening yeah. there. So maybe Sometimes learn you can use that
2: sort of funk for, like, body, right? Yeah and, yeah, you, yeah, and, yeah. and you don't want to wash it out. But, yeah, it, it's probably not that great. Uh, and to your point, you don't know that she learned how to wash her hair. She might have just yeah. spent two weeks without washing it because it was just oh. too much work. Uh, am I going to thank her for her sacrifice? I'm going to.
0: Swipe up. Super like.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a small price to pay. Uh, for us, but she is the one who had to wash her own hair. She had to pick her (laughs) both arms up, presumably. She had to put some shampoo and conditioner in and move her hands back and forth on her head. Uh, And that's honestly, that's a lot to ask for someone so that we can enjoy a tennis tournament in front of fans. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you so much. Uh, Moving on. (laughs) Tim Donaghy, the disgraced former NBA ref who spent significant time in jail... For fixing games, uh, debuted in Major League Wrestling, which did not know that was a thing. It's actually the MLW. uh, As a crooked official, he was in the Major League Wrestling Fusion event. And he helped prevent one of the wrestlers from touching all four turnbuckles in the ring in order to win. And it was a thing. Uh, Good career move, Fitz.
1: Oh, I cannot wait for this. I am going to.
0: Swipe down. <laughs> I hate it.
1: Look, I, and hey, if he wants to buy into his own caricature to go into, like, let's say the WWE, maybe I have a different answer to this. But when you're going into small-time, tiny wrestling, because that's all you got, you're probably getting paid 50 bucks to be there. Like, you don't recoup this from your image. Like, he's done now. Whatever whatever he was hoping to do, is, you don't get there from your minor league wrestling debut as an official. <laughs> like, this is... Go work at Starbucks, dude. Like, it, they got right. good benefits, great place, you know, make some coffee.
2: For the very same reason I'm swiping,
0: swipe left.
2: I'm not quite as down on him because I don't think he has any other options. And he's like the people that end up on like celebrity rehab or like celebrity love shack or whatever the hell those shows are. They don't have anything left. So they have to lean into their worst moments because it's their only bankable asset. And that's kind of where he is. So, good career move, maybe. Because it's probably the only one he can make, although Starbucks (laughs) is a good option. Finally, Naomi Osaka, well, recently was the winningest uh, moneymaker in women's sports last year, tennis player. He's become a part owner of the NWSL team, The Courage, and we're hearing that LeBron is likely in the part of the group that's buying the Atlanta Dream. Should we buy a sports team?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and swipe up to this, sir. Swipe I just, up. I mean, we me owning a sports team. I just need the Arena Football League to come back because that's more, you know, in our price range. We could, like, get a whole bunch of investors right, together right. and buy an Arena League team.
2: How much is the XFL right now? They're, they're bankrupt twice. They can't be that expensive. What would that's we be, cool. the Switzes or the, the Fanes?
1: The Spitzes.
2: The Spitzes. <laughs> Maybe we can get a famed swimmer. Isn't that Jason Spitz?
1: Wow, I believe back are. in the
2: Olympic days, he could be the mascot or the spokesperson or the ambassador. I'm on to this. I, I would like to own a team. and maybe Swipe up. Super yeah, like. I'm swiping up on that. I don't know if I want you involved, though. We'll see. I'll put you through some rigorous testing. See if you qualify to be a co-owner. Well, we'll see. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll take it off the air. Freddie Fitzsimmons are coming up next. Everybody, enjoy your Friday. Woo!
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.